Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. I'm starting in Luke 14. One Sabbath... When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy or swollen joints. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him away. And then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you immediately pull him out? And again, they had nothing to say. Then he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. So he told him this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you has probably been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, the Pharisee, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors, because if you do, they might invite you back, and then you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Oh, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, oh, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. I don't even know what that means. How do you try out oxen? Please excuse me. Still another said, this is a classic, "Mm, I just got married, so I can't come. (laughs) The servant came back and reported this to his master. So then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, fine, then go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring me the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. So the master told his servant, all right, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
Then large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his brother, his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Wouldn't you sit down first and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming with 20,000? If he's not able, he'd send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace in the same way. Any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good morning. (laughs) Welcome to Redemption Hill, where the girls are in charge. Just kidding. It's men's retreat, and at Redemption Hill, we gladly serve alongside each other as brothers and as sisters. Uh, I'm going to preach about hospitality today, and since Sam didn't go on the men's retreat, my husband, I had a lot of extra kids at our house all weekend to really prepare his heart for this sermon. He hasn't thanked me yet, but I think he will by the end of this, Sam. You'll see. (laughs) All those extra little girls. We're spending a few weeks talking about this word, phylloxenia, and a place to belong. Do you remember how Robert defined it for us last week? Love of the, yeah, shout it out, stranger. This will be really interactive. Stranger, that's right. So last week, Robert walked us through the ancient understanding of this word, specifically in terms of being a traveler, because it was so dangerous to go from place to place in the ancient Near East. And then he kind of showed us how we have taken technology and wealth to make ourselves really impervious to needing each other's help, specifically when we travel. There's gas stations and hotels, and we don't really stay with family along the way because that'd be a lot of work for them and for us. And so we've just really made ourselves this little bubble of safety. And this week, we're going to ask ourselves what this idea of hospitality could look like now in our own lives, here, not as travelers, but as people who have a place to stay. Um, And we're going to do that, obviously, by looking at the life of Jesus and seeing how he was hospitable, despite the fact that he didn't have a house. And we'll see what that looks like for us. I want to start with a question that Christina actually asked me and my dad this week as we were arguing about this sermon, <laughs> and she piped up from, we were at Wonder School in the office, and she said, well, what do you guys think is the difference between generosity and hospitality? So, what do you think? This is a shout-out situation. What is the difference between generosity and hospitality? Can we be generous without being hospitable? Yes. Zach. Zach. Beautiful. Generosity can be given from afar. It can be impersonable, right? I can just write you a check 
Hospitality has this connotation of intimacy or, as Christina was praying for us, presence. You cannot be hospitable without being present. And we all have a, a history of hospitality, the way that our parents showed us, or maybe our grandparents showed us, and then we became grown-ups and we kind of had to decide, or maybe we're in the process of deciding, what does hospitality look like for us now? And that's a journey that I had to go through. I grew up in a pretty weird house looking back. I thought it was normal and then I got married and realized it wasn't. There are seven kids in my family. My dad was the pastor of our small church that was very connected to each other. I remember being really surprised at the term latchkey kid because I didn't know that kids needed keys because our house didn't even have a lock. Like we didn't have a house key. It just the door was always open really according to my dad who would always say why is that door open? So we had a house that people just flowed in and out of. There were always people living with us. Our church members didn't have great boundaries, so there was a lot of people coming over any time of the day for our parents' help. And that was just how we lived. Also, there were seven kids, and seven kids as friends. And then we started getting married and bringing in in-laws, so it was bursting with life. And then I got married, and Sam and I moved to Nampa, which was 30 minutes away from our, my family home, and it was so quiet. <laughs> I had never been more lonely in my life than after we got married. Sam also worked away, so he was gone 16 days a month. So it wasn't just the two of us in our house, it was just me in my house. And then um, he put in an alarm system. You know, I was alone a lot and I would get scared so we put in this alarm system and I remember saying like an alarm system how are my sisters supposed to get in and he was like yes how are your sisters <laughs> supposed to get in so I went from this big like amoeba of a home of people moving in and out to just me being at home and then sometimes Sam being at home and I really had to reframe what hospitality looked like without this built-in way that my family and our church had given me. I had to decide what it was going to look like for me. We're still on that journey. We're really different people in the way that we approach hospitality. Sam and I is really different, but we're trying to wrestle it out. And today we're really, what I'm going to invite you to do is to wrestle out for you as well, maybe what God is asking you to do in offering generosity in the form of hospitality. Okay. Here's the thing about hospitality. It's always a choice. We don't have to be hospitable. We can close our doors. But we just read in Luke 14 that there's, there's actually this really serious command from Jesus that if we want to follow him, we have to be willing to do what he did and pick up our cross and follow him. So hospitality is a choice, but once we've decided to follow Jesus, it's not really a choice anymore. What we're listening for today is not whether or not we should be hospitable, but how that plays out in our context and maybe the thing that God is asking us to change now, because if we claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we have to set aside any kind of that imagined choice around hospitality and actually do what Jesus did. And Jesus did a lot of his ministry around a table. 
We see him um, in a few places normally. We see him teaching at the temple. We see him praying alone. We see him traveling with the crowds, and we see him eating in people's homes. He ate with friends, his family, strangers, and enemies, and he did so quite regularly. Like, despite not having a home, we see Jesus in a lot of home settings. So the question is, why does hospitality, the idea of having people sharing space with us, specifically our space, feel hard? And I really want you guys to tell me. Like, what is it about it that you don't love? I'll go first. Um, I am nervous sometimes about the mess. <laughs> like, we're, we keep our house clean, and I know that there are some particular cousins that are going to come to our house, and they will probably break something, and they will probably make a big mess. And so there is like a bummer of a hesitation in me. I wish it wasn't there that when I know certain kids are coming to my house, I have to like set aside what's going to happen to my stuff. That's part of what makes hospitality hard for me sometimes. Okay, I'm going to give us three boxes that most of our reasons for avoiding hospitality belong to. One is this sense of approval, like maybe what I have isn't good enough to offer. Uh, other people won't like my house, my food, or me. But then on the other side, there's also like certain kinds of people that I want in my home. Desirable people, cool people, or just like normal people that I already like. <laughs> Not a stranger. And what if those kind of people don't want to come? What if it's only the weirdos or lonely people who want to come to my house and my house is full of those people and all the cool people are eating somewhere else without me? So there's all this, like, writhing approval that we have, being approved of and needing to approve of. There's also a sense of ambition. How will it make us look? What does it mean for our time? How can I get ahead if I'm busy being hospitable? How is there time for hospitality when we're working and we're busy? Because there's really only two ingredients for hospitality, and one of them is that we have to be home. <laughs> and the other is we have to invite people in. And both of those things really push up against what we want for ourselves. And then the third is this idea of appetite. What will hospitality take from me? What sacrifices might it require that will make my life less fun? That's something for me. Or less predictable? something for some of you, less clean, less neat, will being generous take my money, my time, my food, and my freedom away? Because we also have this enormous appetite for safety, right? And that's hard to maintain when we love hard people. We've gotten really good at setting all kinds of boundaries. This is like a word that we've grown up with, our generations, setting boundaries. And a lot of them are in the name of safety for us, for our kids, for our stuff. But now we live behind all these little fences that we've built, and we can't remember how to let people in again. We've gotten really good at keeping the wrong people out. But now we can't seem to find the latch to open that gate back up. So these are all things that are going through our minds when we hear about hospitality, 
but how can we not give away what we have so freely been given? And the reason is because all those reasons that we just named out to not be hospitable are really just these like chattering noise that are covering up a quiet little insidious lie about what we deserve and about what God has to offer us instead. Because I have to ask myself, looking at my life, do I believe that I have been given this bounty or do I believe that I made the bounty and therefore deserve to control it? My cleverness, my good decision, my abilities have amassed me these resources of a healthy family, of a home, of groceries, even of my extended family. If I believe that I made that happen, then I get to choose when and how I share them and with whom. So I have to ask myself, is my home and my yard and my stuff and my people a castle of which I am ruler? Or is my home and my relationships an outpost of the kingdom of God where all are invited to the table? It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Whew. Just want us to like understand the intimacy of what's being described. He has removed clothing. He has wrapped a towel around his waist. He has physically made himself lower than the people with him. And he is now washing absolutely filthy He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place at the table. This is a question for us. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so because that's what I am. And now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. Because I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.
Okay, there's a few really important things here. The first one is that Jesus literally says, here's an example. A lot of times we feel like, yes, we're supposed to be more like Jesus, but he was Jesus. But then we get these little moments where he says, no, I've actually just done a very human thing. I have touched someone else. I have gotten lower than someone else, and I have cared for them in a very specific way. This is an actual example of what I want you to do. There's no hiding from this. This is not just a God thing. This is a human thing. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and this is crucial. He washes the feet of someone who's just about to betray him. We don't even like to have family members join us at holidays who don't vote the way that we vote. This guy's about to give him over, not just to die, but to be crucified. And he knows it. And still, he welcomes him to the table. He shares a meal with him, and he washes his feet. How does he do it? Why does it seem like he can do it, and it's so hard for me to let my nieces and nephews run through my house with muddy feet? The answer is in verse 3. Jesus knew that his father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he was returning to God. Then the next word is so. So he got up from the meal. He knew these things, so he washed their feet. The knowing is what led him to be able to wash the feet of these people and to wash the feet of the one who would give him away. He knew who he was. He knew that everything came from his father, and he knew where he was going. And so when we ask ourselves, well, can we do it too? We have to ask ourselves, well, do we know who we are? Do we know that everything that we have actually belongs to God? And do we believe that in the end, what we have done here and now will matter in eternity for us and for those that we have served? Eugene Peterson says, Worship is never just worship and meals are never just meals. Holiness permeates hospitality. Because whenever we offer hospitality, we're acting out the gospel in small and significant ways over and over again. Because hospitality certainly has a cost. We know that. Our finances, our time, our emotional energy. But what does that cost by us? The comfort and care of others. We make room for neighbors and strangers and friends because God made and continues to make room for us. And the world sees that kind of radical hospitality and they have no paradigm for it. We should not let them into our home. We should not let them be a part of our family. Nobody does that. And because there's no natural explanation for that kind of care, there has to be a supernatural explanation for that kind of care. And then because we've opened our door and because we've extended the border of our family and who we think deserves to be in our circle, we've opened a way to share the good news of Jesus because it's literally the only explanation to act like that. The good news of Jesus, 
the hope and the comfort and the transformative healing of a good Savior starts at a table. And it starts in a home. There's this really great book. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And the woman who wrote it used to be this radical lesbian feminist. She was a professor at Syracuse. She was like full in on that lifestyle. And the way that she became saved was she was um, interviewing these very conservative Christians, a pastor, and they kept inviting her to their house for these interviews and inviting her back and inviting her back. And she was she didn't love being there, and it was uncomfortable, but eventually this radical hospitality is what led her to ask about the Savior that she had come there to attack. Because of their hospitality, she followed Jesus. And now she has this really beautiful platform about hospitality, and she reminds us that Christians have a powerful history of building schools and hospitals, True, of showing up during natural disasters to offer water and food and shelter and medicine. Doesn't this sound like generosity? We have that history. But do we have the daily witness of Christian neighboring? Our post-Christian neighbors need to hear and see and taste and feel authentic Christianity. Hospitality spreading from every Christian home that includes neighbors in prayer, food, friendship, childcare, dog walking, and all the daily matters upon which friendships are built. Because Jesus says, this is the Bible, not Rosaria, in the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. It's always a choice to follow Jesus. We don't have to do it. We like our cozy little worlds free of discomfort from our more difficult family members and our annoying neighbors and our slightly unhinged coworkers, We keep ourselves at arm's length with our money. We can stay away from there with our skills. We can even refuse to accept their hospitality because we don't want to seem needy or make ourselves vulnerable in the space of another person. Like Peter, we too refuse to have our feet washed. We not only keep ourselves safe by not offering hospitality, but once we accept hospitality, we're also making ourselves vulnerable. So we say, no, Lord, not my feet. I do not want you to see that side of me. And so on both ends, we are refusing the hospitality of Jesus Christ and then to give away the hospitality of Jesus Christ instead of being this conduit through which the goodness of God flows, we put up all these little walls and it can no longer go through us. Okay. As I've been talking today, there's probably a few things that have come to your mind. You might have some feelings in your body right now. <laughs> this is something we talk a lot in discipleship that like, Paying attention to our body is really important because we worship a God who had a body, and so we know that he works through our feelings. So maybe you're feeling some discomfort or maybe some excitement about some possibilities or just a nagging thought that won't go away. Or maybe there's a face in your mind, a sister you've allowed to become distant or a brother or a neighbor who does things that you don't like or a neighbor who lives alone, 
or a coworker who is always a mess. People or things that God brought to your attention in one way or another this morning, we're going to take a minute to be quiet and pay attention to. So if there are faces or names or some feelings that you're having, I actually want you to write them down. So maybe in your phone on a note or on a piece of paper if you have it, I really want you to record whatever God is stirring up in you, if anything. And I'm going to give you just a minute to do it. What has God brought to your attention this morning? Hospitality will not look the same at your house as it might at mine. Because we are different people and because we have different things to offer. But what God gave you, he gave you to give away. You have, I, I know you guys, and you are good news. I'm not talking about hospitality like a turkey dinner (laughs) or, you know, like the thing, whatever you're imagining that it is, this big, beautiful party or a clean house free of dog hair. The thing that you have to offer is yourself. The thing that you have to offer is the goodness that God has done in your life. The reason that it matters that we do it at our homes is because That's where we are. And that's where we get to welcome people in. It's different at work. It's different at the store. It's different at church. There is something so specific about home. And Jesus did something very specific in homes. So when we're saying, how can we be hospitable? I do not want you to be making a grocery list in your head or thinking of a beautiful meal that you can serve to people. We're thinking about names and faces. Who needs the family that you have? If you're a single person, who needs the family that you're building in your little home with your roommates and your friends? Who needs to come sit at your table and be a part of the goodness that God has done in your life? Your presence is what matters. The house I grew up in was weird. My mom did not cook. My dad did not cook. If people came over, it was scrambled egg sandwiches. If we went to Amanda's house, it was piles of quesadillas, maybe frosted flakes and cereal bowls. 
Nobody's mom was whipping up beautiful meals. They just had an open door. And that is what changed our lives. That is what was modeled to us. Now we're all finding ways to do it ourselves and figuring out what is it that God has given me in order for me to give it right back. And that's different at your house than it is in mine. So this week, I'm inviting you to pray about whatever you wrote down. And I want you to let God to continue to bring it to your attention, which, by the way, is another definition of prayer. Prayer is us turning our attention to the things that God's already paying attention to. So whatever you wrote down, pray through it. Let God keep bringing it to you. And then here's the question that we ask all the time. I'm going to say it twice, and I want you to write it down. What small faithful step can you take this week to offer hospitality to a broken and lonely world? What small faithful step can you take this week to offer hospitality to a broken and lonely world? And we say small because this is how Jesus works. And we say faithful because this is how he works through us. We're not looking for an overhaul here. We're asking for the one thing. But here's what's also really important. you got to tell somebody. So the thing that you hear God say, tell somebody else. I think that God's asking me to ask my neighbor over for coffee. I think that God's asking me to go out when the kids are playing soccer and play soccer with them and the other neighbor kids. I don't know what it is for you, but you've got to tell somebody so that they can help you in that journey of listening to the Lord and actually doing what he says. We are each other's advocates. We are each other's accountability. Not because I'm telling you to do something. Who cares if I tell you to do something? You should not care. But if Jesus asks you to do something, you should definitely care. And we will care with each other. Because when the Father speaks and we listen and we do what he's asking us to do, we will actually see the world change. But it is through small, faithful steps. So tell your microchurch, tell your friends, tell your spouse. And let's help each other listen and do what God says. And I really can't wait to hear about it, truly. So if something awesome happens this week, or something not so awesome, and you're like, I had my neighbor over and they sucked. I want to hear about it. Tell me next week. Let's tell each other. Let's share the things that God's doing so that we can celebrate and so we can encourage. And so that we can move forward as the community of Redemption Hill to believe that Jesus did miracles and Jesus healed and Jesus is our savior and Jesus believed in the ministry of the table. And so we as a community are going to say our family and our table and our home are the sacred place where God is doing work. If I am the temple of God, then wherever I go, may my presence bring his presence there also. And if it's at my table with a quesadilla, then yes and amen.
Let me pray for you guys, and I'll have the worship team come back up. Yeah. Oh, Father, thank you that you don't um, you don't expect us to turn our whole lives upside down in one day. You are a God of invitation. You are a God of hospitality. You invite us into new spaces. And we know that as we step into them that you're already there and that you already have what we need. This is a room full of people. Man, Lord, there's just like so much love and friendship here. We're so rich in it, Jesus. And we're so thankful for each other. And we want to give away what you've given us. So please, Lord, help us to hear the one thing that you're asking us to do this week and to really believe that you are good. And if we do it, you will be faithful and be there with us. As we come up and take communion, God, we remember that this is the most sacred meal. This is the most sacred meal that we could ever take. And it is in remembrance of you coming to our home and making it for us. We pray that truth for our kids. We pray that truth for ourselves, Lord. Let us take this blood and this body, this bread and this wine, and remember that it was you who came first and you who invited first. So we want to be people who do the very same thing, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus. We love you so much. And in your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Voice. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.